Well, hey friends, welcome to August the 4th, Thursday morning for me, and I hope that you are off to into a great week and off to a great day. We had a wonderful night last night at uh, Emmanuel Groups and uh, VBS, lots of kids, lots of families. It was good to see and so thankful for so many workers who volunteered to be a part of the kids team for this event. And one of the things we're praying diligently as a pastoral staff is that God would bring a resurgence to our church teams. Our church is growing rapidly and we need uh, willing hearted laborers to serve in nurseries and things like that. So you pray that God will give us wisdom as we develop those teams and that God will send forth laborers into his harvest because there certainly is a harvest um, in New England. We're so thankful for it. We are in Psalm 55 and I want to invite you there for a few moments. And this is a uh, a great spot today. So David has crossed over into the as for me part of this Psalm, verse 16. Uh, in spite of what his enemies and his betrayers are doing and the grief and the emotion, the sorrow that he's feeling and the confusion that's descended upon him. And he says, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. And even as I say those words this morning, they, um, they mean a great deal to me. It's been a confusing week in some ways um, and some perplexities, some problems. And I'm so glad that I'm not just telling you uh, that these verses can apply to your life, that they apply to my life right now while I'm talking. And uh, when I'm done recording this devotion and moving into my day with things and challenges that uh, need to unfold, you can, you can, I can promise you, I will be calling upon God and anticipating his salvation. Lord, what are you going to do about these problems? Lord, how are we going to help these hearts? Uh, Lord, I love these people. I love this situation. I love serving you, but, uh, but I need your wisdom. We need you to intervene. So David says, evening, morning, and noon. Um, so in a few moments, I'm going to head over to Chick-fil-A and drink a coffee and have a chicken biscuit and spend some time writing and studying. And, uh, and so maybe, maybe that's um, a morning Chick-fil-A breakfast biscuit and then a noon chicken nuggets and then an evening Chick-fil-A sandwich uh, that, that would, you know, draw us into, you know, that is the Lord's chicken. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't say I shouldn't be this way. It's first thing in the morning and I'm still waking up. But uh, for some reason that caught me evening, morning and noon. David says it's going to be my routine and I'm going to I'm going to reset my heart and my mind and I'm going to come before you with my problems three times every day uh, and cry aloud. And I know he says in verse 17, he will hear my voice. What a great assurance. Now, look at this. This is this is uh, either. Um, looking back on the deliverance at the, at the time he writes this verse, maybe he inserts this verse, or it is by faith anticipating. It says in verse 18, he hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. Now, maybe, uh, maybe he's talking about physical deliverance that he's spared from death, but maybe he's uh, talking even before the physical deliverance that there has been already a spiritual deliverance, his soul has been delivered, his internal man, his heart, has been delivered into peace uh, from the battle that's still raging around him. Now, that's a beautiful way to think of this verse, and I think it's a reasonable way to think of it. And, and by the way, well, which is it? It's probably both. Um, that's how Hebrew poetry is. It's, it's nuanced. It's layered. And um, that's why it's so profound and beautiful and powerful, and in addition to that, it's in the inspired Word of God. But... Um, 
But David is likely talking about a, a, a two-phase delivery, the first being spiritual, emotional, psychological, his soul being released from uh, the burdens that he's bearing right now in God's presence and a peace settling in, into his heart, even, even though the battle still goes on. But he's likely anticipating knowing that God's going to deliver him as well from, from physical death. So he has delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. Now there's the there's the realization of the physical uh, deliverance because when we feel that we're alone, we aren't. And I talk to a lot of pastors and they get in the thick of things and they start, you know, they're dealing with one or two concerns and they begin to think that everybody feels this way about them or feels this way about the church. And, and sometimes uh, a loud critic uh, likes to give the sense, it's very manipulative and, and, and deceptive, likes to give the sense that because I feel this way, everybody does, it's, it's kind of a narcissistic projection. The critic tries to drag everybody in. And, um, and, uh, and David's, David's discovered now in verse 18, there are many with him. Um, and I want to say to you, my friend, there are many with you, okay? Who is on the Lord's side? And if God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, there are many with you. And so don't play the victim. Don't, uh, don't, don't get into this self-pity mode of poor pitiful me. It's all coming down on me. Um, that's not healthy. And, uh, and don't think you're alone. And then let me throw this in. If you serve with a pastor or Christian leader, and I'm not talking to, to my context because I have many, many uh, encouragers and friends that would, fu- would, would fulfill this role, and they do so, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful they do, and, and I'm glad I'm not in this alone. But it means the world when one of them approaches me and, and number one, just says, hey, how you doing? And then when they say, I just want you to know, you're, you're not alone. We're in this with you. you know, we believe in this. We love what God is doing, and we are in this with you. Wow, uh, I, I can't think of really anything more uh, empowering and strengthening and encouraging than those words from people. They, they, they don't need to be fawning words. Um, uh, somebody, somebody once told me, we know that, that you, know, you appreciate affirmation. Who doesn't, Okay. Uh, but I, I can honestly say before the Lord, it's not the affirmation. I don't need people just to gratify some sense of ego or sense of self. It is the, it's the overwhelming sense of the battle and needing to know that something good is happening. You know, just needing to know that someone's doing well, that somewhere there's, there's some good outcomes. But even more than that, needing to know that there are others that share the vision that others that there are others that rejoice in in, in the in the beauty, and that uh, see through the the problems and and the challenges, and they see uh, the value, and that that energizes and empowers my heart on a level that few things do, and I just want to tell you that's how most pastors and spiritual leaders are, uh, just the smallest drop, the smallest word of you're not alone and we believe in this with you and we're in this with you is like a drop of cold water, sometimes in a rather parched desert. So David has discovered that there are many with him, and there are many with you, and it's encouraging to hear that. And uh, let's quickly look at verse 19. God shall hear and afflict them. So he's still uh, anticipating and believing 
the promise of God. He's believing the providence and the activity of God, even though maybe he can't see it yet. God shall hear this this prayer. He shall afflict them. He's going to bring justice. I don't need to fight for vengeance. I don't need to justify myself. He shall, he will do this. Even he that abideth of old, Selah. Now, um, well, let's finish reading the verse. Even he that abideth of old, Selah. Notice the break there, the pause. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Now, first part of the verse is, I want to draw out, even he that abideth of old. David is referencing God's unchanging nature. He, he, he is abiding from eternity past to eternity future, and he is appropriating God's unchanging, abiding presence into his problem and into his heart and into his reality. God is unchanging, and he's with me, and he is abiding, and he's forever. He's the fixed durability of my life. He's the fixed durability of my soul, and he is anchoring his heart, his psyche, his soul to the unchangeability of God, the ever-present, infinite love and grace and goodness of God. He continues, there's a break, and he says, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Now he turns the direction to they. Who's they? Well, it's his enemies. It's the rebel. Uh, it's those that are rebelling against God. Those that are fighting against David, his betrayers, the wicked. Okay, and and now catch this. Because they have no changes. Now this is a an interesting phrase, and it's easy to misread, especially in the English translation. Okay. Um, David is still referencing the unchanging nature of God. It's easy to read this and hear it this way or perceive it this way because they aren't repenting, because they have no changes within themselves, therefore they fear not God. They, they are unchanging in their rebellion, therefore they fear not God. That's not really the sense here, okay? The sense here is still tied to even he that abideth of old. What he's saying is, because nothing has changed circumstantially, because these people, because God is still feeding them, giving them breaths, giving them heartbeats, because there's no judgment, because the world is moving forward, they, uh, because, okay, uh, later in Scripture, and I'm extemporaneously recalling this, um, because judgment is not executed speedily, the doers of evil are presumptuous and they, they, they continue on, okay? Because nothing is, they're getting away with it, okay? So what he's really driving at is that the, the wicked are presuming upon God's steadfastness. They, are, they have not experienced any, any radical change in God and therefore, or in the world or in the, or in nature, or in just things, and and they're presuming upon that, and they're building their their rebellion on that. Okay, um, we could say the same thing today. There are so many millions and billions of people that, in a world that goes on, and in 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 a in, in a cycle where the sun rises and sets, and uh, the seasons of nature continue, and um, the crops continue to grow and the herds continue to produce and and the heart continues to beat and the lungs continue to breathe, the wicked are empowered 
to continue in their flagrant fearlessness of God. That's the sense of this. He's saying they are, um, they're, they're unchanging in their unrepentance because God has not brought about any changes in their lives. And so it, uh, it makes them presumptuous. Um, so it's, it's really an interesting and intriguing thought. We're all prone to that, by the way. When, do, when are we most likely to repent? When something comes undone. And, and that's what David's driving at. He's driving at our core tendency to be presumptuous, to presume upon the goodness of God, uh, to presume upon the faithfulness of God. And that's um, obviously a dangerous thing. Well, my friend, anticipate, experience the peace of God today preemptively. Let him deliver your soul from turmoil and anticipate that he will deliver you physically from your burden and confusion. And by the way, I anticipate the very same thing. Happy Thursday. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.